Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 366. Today's big Bible question, how does God keep or protect us by his name? Well, happy Lord's Day, friends. For the very last time this year, I'd like to invite you to join us on Facebook at our VBC Salinas page for a great time of worship, encouraging words, and a message that focuses on Simeon's proclamations about the newborn baby Jesus, which I think is a perfect after-Christmas passage for us in these darkish times. After today's podcast, we only have four more days in the year, and then the Daily Bible Reading Podcast, as we know it, is going to transition to something else for 2021. Not 100% sure what yet, but I do believe it will still be a Daily Bible Focus show, perhaps a bit shorter. Perhaps we will go through the New Testament one chapter at a time in 2021, rather than reading four chapters a day. Again, not 100% sure, but that's the plan that is starting to coalesce. Stay tuned for more details. But for today, we're going to be reading 2 Chronicles 32, Zechariah 14, John 17, and Revelation 18. Great comment on yesterday's episode from Mr. Og, who says, Excellent point on chronological snobbery. Thank you. One interesting aspect of chronological snobbery is that many of those who feel that we live in a more rational and scientifically advanced age are themselves quite ignorant of reasoning and science. While we enjoy the benefits of electric lights, for example, many people have only the most vague idea of how they work. Those who tell us that Christianity is unscientific are often unable to define science or explain its scope relative to all human knowledge and reason. And that is quite an excellent point, Mr. Og. Thank you for sharing that. Our focus today is on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 and how God keeps or protects us by his name. I do need to point out something very important first, though. Jesus prays for those who would believe in him through the preaching and teaching of the apostles, which means he prays for you and me and many, many others, of course. And note the focus of that prayer, which we see in John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus says, Jesus prays, I should say, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Now you can sum up this prayer for future believers in one word, unity. The thing that seems to be most on Jesus' mind and heart for his followers was that they would be one. They would be in unity, the same kind of unity that Jesus himself enjoyed with the Father. And may you and I, friends, walk in that kind of unity by seeking peace and pursuing it, which is a command from 1 Peter 3.11 and also from the Psalms. So let's read the whole prayer of Jesus in John 17 and discuss it. John chapter 17, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. 
Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. So one part of the prayer of Jesus I haven't dove deeply into in the past is found in verses 11 through 15 where Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So three times in this passage, Jesus talks about protection for his followers, though I should note the King James Version uses the word keep instead of protect. Jesus says that he protected his followers by God's name, and he prays that since he is leaving the earth to return to heaven, he asks God to protect his followers by the name that you have given me. And then in verse 15, Jesus notes the type of protection he's praying about. Not that God would remove them from the world, but that he would protect them from the evil one. So I conclude from this that God's name and the name that God gave Jesus protects us from the evil one and his followers. So how does that work? How does God protect us by his name and the name of his son? Well, one thing that happens is when we look at God's personal name, we remember it is Yahweh, which means I am that I am or I am because I am. 
So this, of course, means that nobody created God. He is because he is. That's God's personal name. And even though it's not obvious to those of us who don't speak Hebrew, the name Jesus, which in Hebrew is Yahshua or Yeshua, literally means Yahweh saves or salvation is from Yahweh. So this means that God's personal name is also right there in the name of Jesus, which is very important. And scripture calls the name of Jesus the name that is above every name. And I don't believe that's an exaggeration. When I was a child of six or seven, and I might have told you this before, but I had this terrible recurring nightmare that literally lasted for years and years in which Satan himself would climb the stairs of hell which, of course, opened up into my closet because, you know, for a kid, closets are the most evil place in the world at nighttime. And Satan would come out of my closet. He would get me out of my bed and carry me down to hell. I knew somehow, some way, that if only I could say the name Jesus, that I would be saved. But in that dream, or whatever that was, I was literally unable to speak the name or cry for help or call for my parents. Now, I really have no idea how in the world I knew that the name of Jesus would save me. I was not a Christian at the time. My parents did not go to church much then, maybe rarely, and when they did, it was not really a Bible-believing church or whatever, but maybe I told them about the dream and they told me what to do to say the name Jesus because both of their parents were Christians. Well, somehow, some way. I knew at a young age that the name of Jesus had power over the enemy. And of course, that's true. In the book of Acts, in fact, we see men like Paul commanding demons in the name of Jesus. For instance, Acts 16, 18 says, uh, talking about a demon-possessed girl, she did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. So we know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And of course, we know from, uh, I think it's Acts 17, the seven sons of Sceva, whatever chapter that is in, we know that the power is not necessarily in merely saying the name. It is in knowing the name and knowing the Jesus of the name. But how does God keep us or protect us by his name? So let's ask friend of the podcast, Charles Spurgeon, that question. And note when he says keep or kept, it's the same word that's translated protect in the CSB. And Spurgeon says this, Observe that our Lord Jesus Christ asks that we may be kept through God's own name. It requires the very name of God to keep a Christian. By the word, name is sometimes meant the whole character of God, the whole royal power and prerogative of God. Frequently, power is meant by the word name. There is no keeping one of us, much less the whole ship's company, except the sacred name of God shall exert all its power to keep off our foe. The Savior concludes with this plea, Holy Father, keep through your own name those whom you have given me. I do not know whether it will strike you, but it strikes me as very touching. He seems to say, Father, you gave these to me. They are very precious to me. They are my jewels. Now I am going away, and therefore I must leave them. O my Father, keep for me the sweet tokens of your own love to me. These are my forget-me-nots, and I have valued them. Therefore, I ask you, while I go up to the bloody tree and die, and afterwards, when I come to thee and enjoy my eternal rest, take care of those whom you have given me. It's like a husband who has obtained his bride, but now finds that he must needs go away from her. He gives her back to her father, who originally gave her to him, and says, Take care of her for my sake. As you love me, take care of her. 
And we are talking about you, believers in Christ. Listen, therefore, with diligence. The Father himself loves you. The Father gave you to Jesus because he loved Jesus. He wanted Jesus to have that which would give him most delight, and so he gave you to him. And now that Jesus cannot be with you in his bodily, corporeal presence, he gives you over to the great Father from whose loving hand he first received you, and he says, Holy Father, keep them or protect them. Do you think the Father will answer the Son's request? I'm sure that he will. I feel safe in that almighty hand in which Jesus has protected me. Remember the double-handed safety of which Jesus speaks in John 10, 28, and 29. They who come to him shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Amen to that. Well, friends, let's keep reading in Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 1. After Hezekiah's faithful deeds, King Sennacherib of Assyria came and entered Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities and intended to break into them. Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he planned war on Jerusalem, so he consulted with his officials and his warriors about stopping up the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. Many people gathered and stopped all the springs in the spring that stream that flowed through the land. They said, why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? Then Hezekiah strengthened his position by rebuilding the entire broken down wall and heightening the towers and the other outside wall. He repaired the supporting terraces of the city of David and made an abundance of weapons and shields. He sent military commanders over the people and gathered the people in the square of the city gate. Then he encouraged them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged before the king of Assyria or before the large army that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. He has only human strength, but we have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So the people relied on the words of King Hezekiah of Judah. After this, while King Sennacherib of Assyria, with all his armed forces, besieged Lachish, he sent his servants to Jerusalem against King Hezekiah of Judah and against all those of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, This is what King Sennacherib of Assyria says, What are you relying on that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? Isn't Hezekiah misleading you to give you over to death by famine and thirst when he says the Lord our God will keep us from the grasp of the king of Assyria? Didn't Hezekiah himself remove his high places and his altars and say to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and you must burn incense on it? Don't you know what I and my predecessors have done to all the peoples of the lands? Have any of the national gods of the lands been able to rescue their land from my power? Who among all the gods of these nations that my predecessors completely destroyed was able to rescue his people from my power, that your God should be able to deliver you from my power? So now, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, and don't let him mislead you like this. Don't believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to rescue his people from my power or the power of my predecessors, how much less were your, will your God rescue you from my power? His servant said more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to mock the Lord, the God of Israel, saying against him, just like the national gods of the lands that did not rescue their people from my power, so Hezekiah's God will not rescue his people from my power. Then they called out loudly in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and discourage them in order that he might capture the city. They spoke against the God of Jerusalem like they had spoken against the gods of the peoples of the earth, which were made by human hands. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, 
prayed about this and cried out to heaven, and the Lord sent an angel who annihilated every valiant warrior, leader, and commander in the camp of the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria returned in disgrace to his land. He went to the temple of his God, and there some of his own children struck him down with a sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the power of King Sennacherib of Assyria and from the power of all others. He gave them rest on every side. Many were bringing an offering to the Lord to Jerusalem and valuable gifts to King Hezekiah of Judah, and he was exalted in the eyes of all the nations after that. In those days, Hezekiah became sick to the point of death, so he prayed to the Lord who spoke to him and gave him a miraculous sign. However, because his heart was proud, Hezekiah didn't respond according to the benefit that had come to him, so there was wrath on him, Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, and he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the Lord's wrath didn't come on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. Hezekiah had abundant riches and glory, and he made himself treasuries for silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and every desirable item. He made warehouses for the harvest of grain, new wine, and fresh oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and pens for flocks. He made cities for himself, and he acquired vast numbers of flocks and herds, for God gave him abundant possessions. This same Hezekiah blocked the upper outlet of the water from the Gihon Spring, and channeled it smoothly downward and westward to the city of David. Hezekiah succeeded in everything he did. When the ambassadors of Babylon's rulers were sent to him to inquire about the miraculous sign that happened in the land, God left him to test him and discover what was in his heart. As for the rest of the events of Hezekiah's reign and his deeds of faithful love, note that they are written in the visions of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Hezekiah rested with his ancestors and was buried on the ascent to the tombs of David's descendants. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem paid him honor at his death, and his son Manasseh became king in his place. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 1, Look, a day belonging to the Lord is coming when the plunder taken from you will be divided in your presence, and will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Azal. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Isaiah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light. The sunlight and moonlight will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord without day or night. But there will be a light. At, there will be light at evening. On that day living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea in summer and winter alike. On that day the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone in his name alone. All the land from Geba to Rimon south of Jerusalem will be changed into a plain, but Jerusalem will be raised up and will remain on its site from the Benjamin gate to the place of the first gate to the corner gate and the, from the tower of Hananel to the royal wine presses. People will live there and never again will there be a curse of complete destruction. So Jerusalem will dwell in security. This will be the plague with which the Lord strikes all the people who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. 
On that day, a great panic from the Lord will be among them, so that each will seize the hand of one of another, and the hand of one will rise against the other. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, gold, silver, and clothing in great abundance. The same plague as the previous one will strike the horses, mules, camels, donkeys, and all the, ma- the animals that are in those camps. Then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters. Should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of armies, rain will not fall on them. And if the people of Egypt will not go up and enter, then rain will not fall on them. This will be the plague the Lord inflicts on the nations who do not go up to celebrate the festival of shelters. This will be the punishment of Egypt and all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of shelters. On that day, the words holy to the Lord will be on the bells of the horses. The pots in the house of the Lord will be like the sprinkling basins before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of armies. All who sacrifice will come and use the pots to cook in. And on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of armies. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, After this I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a haunt, a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast, for all the nations have drunken the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Then I heard another voice from heaven, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes, pay her back the way she also paid, and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her, As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see grief. For this reason her plagues will come in just one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned with fire, because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, because no one buys their cargo any longer, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood object products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and slaves, human lives. The fruit you craved has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city! Dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, for in a single hour such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, Who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning, Whoa, whoa, the great city! 
where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth, for in a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way Babylon the great city will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all of those slaughtered on the earth. Lord, have mercy. Well, dear friends, may the Lord protect you. May he guide you by his light and by his word and by his spirit dwelling in you. May he encourage you today greatly. May he dwell in your heart by faith. Good day to you and Godspeed.